Well, thanks everyone for uh, leading us this morning. Uh, great, to, great to track through those songs together. Well, I am uh, excited to still be gathering together uh, online at least this morning because uh, there's one thing I know. Uh, it's been about a year or so of, of restrictions and, and, and not being able to gather and all these things, but one thing I do know is that you, you cannot shut down the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, if we've learned anything so far from our walk through John's biography, it's that when, when things get darker, Jesus shines brighter. Jesus is the light in the darkness. And so today we're celebrating something that followers of Jesus around the world have celebrated for 2,000 years. That that tomb is empty. That Jesus isn't there anymore. We celebrate the news that, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. That the powers of darkness and sin and hell and the grave and evil have all been ultimately defeated and we worship the one that brings life and life to the full. This Easter, we're going to celebrate the good news of Jesus' resurrection, and we're going to look at how it's a message of hope for all of us. But maybe it's a message of hope especially for anyone who's feeling discouraged or overwhelmed or maybe feeling out of control or facing anxiety, fear, and uncertainty. As I wrote and just read that list, I think that may cover just about everyone, doesn't it? This morning's message is called, When Life Feels Out of Control. Let me pray as we begin. God, thank you that we can come together at the end of this Holy Week and we get to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate you, Jesus, and the work that you accomplished on the cross in our place some 2,000 years ago. And we remember that, that what you did accomplish on the cross wasn't just granting us forgiveness for our sins. It wasn't only making it possible for those who call in your name to spend eternity in heaven with you, although both of those things are so gloriously true. We thank you as well that by the, your work on the cross, the same power that raised you from the dead lives in everyone who surrenders their life to you, Jesus, right now. What an amazing truth that is. And so for anyone this morning, for everyone who might feel like life is out of control, may we find hope and peace in you, Jesus, our Savior, our Forgiver, our Lord, our Leader, and our Treasure. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your good name. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to be largely camping in, in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew is the first of the four biographies we have for us in the Bible. Uh, so if you have a Bible, you can open up there, you can flip there, and we'll drop uh, a link in the comments too as well on our church online page. But let me just sort of quickly set up these verses for us. We're actually looking at some of the events that happened before the crucifixion. That night before Jesus was arrested, he celebrated what we now call the Last Supper with his disciples. And we, we really dug into that last Sunday. So we won't spend a whole lot of time in that meal itself here. But Jesus was, was there with his closest friends, his, his closest disciples, guys that he'd spent the last three years with, traveling and doing ministry. And he was telling them about the kingdom. And he was showing them who he was and, and telling and showing him all that that meant. 
And yet, even after all this time, as they're sharing this really intimate meal together, Jesus knows that one of the guys at the table is going to betray him that night. Jesus knows that within hours he will be arrested and beaten and nailed to a cross, even though he's completely innocent of any wrongdoing. And he's got this agony and suffering before him, and yet he, he takes the bread and he, he takes a cup and he says to his disciples, he says, this bread is my body which is about to be broken for you. And this cup represents my blood that's about to be shed for you. We're, we're starting, I'm, I'm initiating and instigating a, a new covenant, a new deal, a new relationship between humanity and God. So whenever you gather together, take these things, the bread and the cup, and remember what I'm about to do for you. And then Jesus took his disciples and he went to the Mount of Olives to a place called Gethsemane, a name that means something like oil press, so it has this connotation of, of being pressed or being crushed right there in the name. And he says to his closest friends, guys, sit here with me for a while while I go off and I pray. Here's what he said in verse 38 of Matthew 26. He said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Would you, would you stay here and keep watch with me? I'm not totally sure where you are this morning, but maybe you're feeling something similar. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm completely overwhelmed with the circumstances I'm finding myself in right now. When I look ahead at what's to come, I just, it's too much. And he uses the strongest possible language that he's got to express to his closest friends what he's feeling. Another gospel writer says that, that as Jesus had stepped away and started praying, he actually sweat drops of blood. The, the agony he was in was so thick that the capillaries in his forehead burst and the sweat of, of the emotion mixed with the blood, and he sweat blood. We read he asks his, his friends to, to wait with him, to keep watch with him. And Jesus goes a little further into the garden and he then falls to his knees and falls down on the ground and he prays, saying, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And what's, what's the cup he's talking about here? It's what we now know to be the cup of suffering. He's saying, Jesus is saying, God, I, I know what's in front of me. I know what's coming and I'm really not looking forward to this. Is there any other way I'm overwhelmed to the point of death here. If it's possible, take this cup of suffering away. But then look what he says. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. There are really two critical words in this passage. If and yet. If it's possible, yet not my will. And we'll come back to this. Jesus prayed, and then he, he got up and he returned to his disciples. He found them sleeping. And, and sometimes we're hard on the di disciples because it seems like if we just read the text straight through, like Jesus said, hey, hang out here with me, goes away, prays two lines, and comes back, and the boys are already asleep. But as we, we do read, we know that, that he'd gone off to pray for about an hour or so. And Jesus comes back, and he finds the disciples sleeping. And he kind of says to them, guys, I gave you one job. I, I, I wanted you with me for this. 
Couldn't you just stay awake even for an hour? It's interesting. I'm not sure if you've noticed this before, if these verses are familiar to you, but as we read through the Gospels, Jesus could raise the dead, heal the sick, calm the storms, but he couldn't control his disciples, or he didn't control his disciples. He couldn't keep them awake. Now, how many of you like to be in control? You can give me a hand if you're in the room. I'll look around and see a couple. There are only five of us in the room, and I've got several hands. That's pretty good. If you're watching online, feel free to admit that in the comments section as well. Now, if, if you like to be in control, if you like to have everything under control, I suspect that this past year or so has been really frustrating for you because so many things seem out of control. Some of you may be pushing back on me, suggesting you're controlling people or so. I might say, you know what, I'm not controlling, Sean. I'm just aggressively helpful. I'm not controlling, Sean. I'm just really thoroughly organized. Let's call that controlling, shall we? But so many things seem out of control these, these past months and year, doesn't it? I read one pastor who wrote this. He said, I'm just trying to, to assess all of the emotional disorientation that this COVID-19 season has brought all around the world. He says, and I see there's frustration, there's anxiety, there's an overwhelming sense of fear and dread. He says, but I would also argue that there's a very real sense of grieving, not just grieving over people who are sick or, or people who have died, and not just a grieving for the people who have lost their jobs, all of which is, of course, a very real grieving. He says, but I would say that so many people are actually grieving a loss of control. For so long now, we've been living under health orders and restrictions and so many things that we're used to just going ahead and doing, but now we either, we either think twice or we, we can't do these things at all. You know, sitting down in a restaurant with friends, family get-togethers, play dates, birthday parties, indoor gatherings, weddings, church services, you all know the list. Here's the thing that, that I've noticed this past year too, and maybe you have too. It's not necessarily that we've lost control, but rather we're just coming to recognize that we weren't really in control to begin with. There's a UCLA researcher, Ellen Langer, who calls this the illusion of control, and she defines the illusion of control this way. It's, it's the cognitive bias that leads us to believe that we have control over an outcome when we really don't. It's the idea that we think we're in control when we actually aren't. It's, think, it's thinking that we have more control over things than we actually do. And this idea, this illusion of control, means that we tend to overestimate our ability to control a bunch of things that are really uncontrollable. But here's what happens. The more we try to control, the more we're afraid of losing control. And then the more we realize, wait a minute, we might be losing control. The more afraid we are of losing control, the more we try to grab on and hang on and control. And the more we try to control, the more we're afraid of losing control. And you can see how that cycle just continues on and on. And I think there are lots of people, maybe you can identify this. I know I can. 
that we're grieving the loss, not just of control, not just of some of the things that we loved and we're used to doing, but we're grieving the loss of the illusion of control. Our world has been telling us for, for decades that we can be self-made people. We're autonomous. We don't need other things. We can be in control, and yet we're finding that we're just not. But look what Jesus does next year. He goes back. He finds his friend sleeping. He says, can you wait with me for a bit? And he goes again and offers up this just beautiful, powerful prayer of surrender in verse 42. We read, Jesus went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, unless I go through with this, may your will be done. He says, if we can do this another way, let's do that. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. See, here's the big idea for you this morning. You don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. You don't always have the power to control everything, but you always have the power to surrender. Now, in a season like this, I I know that one question that so many people, if not everybody, is asking, and in some form or another, regardless of your faith or beliefs or worldview, the question is, where is God in all of this? The question may be phrased or framed in a little bit more antagonistic side, like, see, there can't be a God. Look at this disaster. Look at all the mess. Or it may be framed with a real sense of, of wonder and worry. And if, if God is powerful and if God is good, how can these things happen? And you know what? These are really fair and really great questions. And if you're asking these questions, I would implore you and urge you to not just ask them and then throw everything away, but, but wrestle with them. Ask for help wrestling with them. Because these are good questions. Where is God in all of this? Did God allow this? Did God cause this? Is he punishing me for something? Punishing us for something? Can I even trust God in the middle of all this? Where is God when it's hard? There's been a lot of research done in the last few years on the the younger generation's belief in God. And and some of these numbers and stats that I'll say, they're from the States. And I think we're maybe a little bit further along, uh, walking away from God when it comes to belief in Canada. Uh, And I I can see this in some of my peers as well. But the research says that the default religion for those under about 30, again, this is the States, I would suggest it's up here, maybe the number's a little higher, is something called moralistic therapeutic deism. Again, I say under 30, but I, I see this in a bunch of people that, that are my age or a bit older who have, who have walked away from the church as well. We were, many of us were raised with some form of this, of this moralistic, therapeutic deism. Well, what is that? I'm glad you asked. Let me break it down for you one word at a time. Moralistic means uh, basically to be religious is to be good and moral and nice. It says, well, I'm a good person, I don't judge others, I'm going to help, I'm good, so I'm, I'm good. Therapeutic means that, that faith is just a means to improve your life. It means that religion should make your life better. If I follow Jesus, my life should get easier, not harder. My life should get better and not worse. 
And finally, deism is the belief that, that God is real, but he's not really involved unless you really, really need him. Or, or God is real and he just created these things and set the world spinning and he's just sitting back from a distance. You know the old Bette Midler song, from a distance. It's that kind of belief. And so kind of to summarize, a, a hugely common belief among our younger generation, if not uh, the youngest generation, but a hugely common belief is that, that we have a mostly uninvolved God that just exists to make our life better. That's the, the idea behind this moralistic, therapeutic deism, is that we have a mostly uninvolved God that exists to make our lives better. And we may not say the words just like that. If we have spent a little bit of time at church and maybe walked away or re- rejected faith or something, we may not say that, but that's kind of the core of those beliefs. And so we get a ton of people who, who go through life and who have been maybe taught or picked this up in churches and they think some form of this. They're saying, listen, if I do the things I should, if I, if I do the things God tells me to, then I should have a happy, healthy, trouble-free life. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Perhaps you can start to see a problem forming. The problem is this. If that's true, and if God wants me happy and I'm not, then either God failed, God isn't who he says he is, or I did something wrong. If, if God wants my life to be better and easy and trouble-free and all of a sudden things get really hard, either God doesn't care about me, can't do anything about it, is punishing me for messing up somewhere along the way, just doesn't care about me, or is just plain let me down. Maybe you've heard someone say, you know what, I tried religion, it wasn't for me. I grew up in the church and it just, it didn't work. So I'm looking for something else tried to be a Christian, but things were still hard. Maybe there's this hesitancy as well when you hear this, like, well, what if, what if I surrender to God and I don't get whatever that is? What if I surrender to God and I'm, I'm still single? I can't find that significant other. What if I surrender everything to God and, and my chronic pain doesn't go away? What if I surrender everything to God and my marriage is still a mess? My family relationships don't get any better. Here's what I'm learning and wrestling with, and trying to grasp more and more each day when it comes to God's will. God's will is rarely easy, but it's always good. God's will is rarely easy, but it's always good. It might not feel good at the moment. It might not seem good in the moment, but our God is working in all things to bring about good for those who love him and who are called according to his purposes, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. And I know, I know, I know that that's one verse that has been misquoted, misused, and misapplied so many times. If someone comes to you and you're in the midst of trauma or they're in the midst of trauma, grief, or despair, chances are really good at that moment they don't want to hear you say, shake it off. God works all things together for good. As true as that might be. But ultimately, even though it may not seem like it in the moment, even though it may not feel like it at the time, God's will is rarely easy 
but it's always good. We have the, the greatest example of this on Easter weekend, don't we? God's will was not easy for Jesus, but it was good. We can even go back one generation from Jesus. Think about Jesus' mom. Think about Mary. If you know or remember the Christmas story, we, we read in Luke's gospel that an angel appears to Mary who's, who's engaged but not yet married, and he says, listen, you're going to be with child. You're going to have a son. His name will be Jesus. He'll be the Savior of the world. That sounds fantastic until you really apply all the things that that's going to mean for her. But remember what she prays in response when she hears that? May your will be done. She responds to the angel in almost the exact same words as Jesus does in the garden here. Now let me tell you, and we looked at this a bit around Christmas this past year, her life would not have been easy. Teenaged, not yet wet engaged, but not married yet, pregnant, poor, those were all significant social strikes that would have stood out against her and her fiancé at the time and her husband Joseph throughout the rest of their lives. Oh, you're that one who said she got pregnant from an angel. Then we get to Easter, and she has to watch as this son is stripped naked, beaten, whipped, suffering for sins he didn't commit, then watch him breathe his last breath, nailed to a cross, and she couldn't do a thing about it. God's will is not easy, but it's always good. And that's what we celebrate for Easter. Jesus had never done anything wrong. He was completely without sin. And yet he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was handed over to the Romans. He was beaten without mercy, whipped to the point where his insides would have been showing, then stripped naked, forced to carry a cross through the busy, crowded city streets to outside the gate so he could then be nailed to that cross and die while the people watching him spit on him and cursed him out. What's really interesting and we see hints of this in the garden as well, is that Jesus could have taken control of that situation. He says he could have called down legions, thousands of angels to come and get him out of all of this. But he chose surrender. As one writer says, when the creation was mocking the creator, he looked up into heaven, scorning the shame of the cross, and he prayed, Father, please forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And then Jesus said, It's finished, Father. I've, I've done what you sent me to do. And then in his final, ultimate act of surrender, he cried out, Into your hands I commit my spirit. And the world went dark. And the earth shook. And the veil in the temple that separated God from humanity was torn from two, and the disciples all scattered. God's will is not always easy. But three days later, God showed that he is always good. 
Some women decided to check on the tomb, and when they arrived, they saw that the stone that was meant to protect Jesus' body had been moved out of the way, and when they looked inside, they saw that the body of Jesus was not there. That tomb was empty because our God raised Jesus from the dead, defeating once for all Satan's sin and even death itself. See, but before there was salvation for us, before we could be rescued by Jesus' work, there was a sacrifice for him. Before there was salvation for us, there was rescue for us, freedom from the slavery to our sin for us, there was sacrifice for him. It wasn't easy, but God is good. Now why, why would God do this? He did this so that anyone Anyone, anyone, and this includes you, wherever you are, whatever your past looks like, whatever you've done, however you've tried and struggled to to, to find your way on your own, anyone could call on the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the name that we read one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior, leader and forgiver, and they will be forgiven. And so Jesus will heal your brokenness. Jesus will remove your shame and he will make you new, not just a better version, not just install an upgrade or or an update, but he will make you new. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone who, who clings to the work Jesus did on the cross is a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. Jesus did for us what we cannot do ourselves. We cannot be good enough. We cannot try hard enough. We cannot accomplish enough, but he did it for us. A couple verses later, Paul writes, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. In light of everything Jesus has done, in light of the, the work he did on the cross, the surrender he gave up, the, the God, I don't want to do this, but if you want me to, yet your will be done, What are you trying to control that you need to surrender? What are are you trying to work out for yourself that maybe God's asking you to give to him? And maybe you're watching and you're not even sure if you believe in God, but maybe you're just getting the sense that, you know what, I can't do this on my own. This last month, this last year has been awful. It's been hellish. It's been the worst ever. I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed. I'm anxious. I'm just plain beat down by everything in this life. Maybe this morning God's trying to get your attention and just say, listen, let me help you with that. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So for everyone, what are you trying to control that God is asking you to surrender? One pastor who's preaching and writing and and teaching has been really influential in me for the last 15 years ago. He says this, there are these two words here that are so incredibly important. The words if and yet. And Jesus cried out to God, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken away. Yet not my will, but your be done. He says, in other words, 
Real faith starts between the if and the yet. It's saying, God, here's what I think I want. Here's, here's what the way I see I have to do it. Yet, I trust you. I give you everything. Yet, your will be done. Here's the problem, though. Everything in our culture invites us, calls us, begs us, and lures us to live in a way that's contrary to what Jesus calls us to, that's contrary to the gospel. Culture tells you to take control for yourself, to be in charge, to make things happen. But Jesus said, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find life. See, to, to really follow Jesus is to surrender not to control. See, ultimately, whatever you're trying to control already belongs to him anyways. He made everything. He's in charge of everything. He's in control of everything. So just give it to him. His will is not always easy, but it is always good. And listen, this, this kind of surrender, this kind of handing things over to Jesus, it's not just a one and done thing either. This is a a day-by-day, maybe hour-by-hour, maybe even minute-by-minute thing where, okay, God, I'm trying to take that back. You can have it. Your will be done. Okay, God, I want to do this, but uh, your will be done. But Jesus suffered, and he died, and God raised him from the dead, and because of that, we can come and give our lives to a good heavenly Father who will never leave us and never forsake us. You don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. Let me pray. And so Jesus, as we celebrate your great resurrection, would you come and fill us with a peace that goes beyond all that we can understand? If you're watching this morning and you would say, yes, I'm grieving the loss of control. I'm I'm trying to be in control of, of whatever it might be, of relationships, of kids, of your job, whatever. Maybe today's the day where you just need to say to God, I surrender this to you. And, and, and name that. I surrender this relationship to you. I surrender my kids to you, my job to you, my, my retirement to you, all these things. God, I give this to you. And let me tell you who God is. God is so good that he loved you so much that he came to us, that he moved into the neighborhood. God is not some distant God that moralistic, therapeutic deism talks about that's, that just left us obscure clues for us to try to find him. He's not just a distant God that, that set the world spinning and then is leaving us to figure it out on our own. But God loves us. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus, one who was without sin, perfect in every way, obedient to his Father, who, to walk this earth, to show us how to rightly relate to creation and to others and to God himself. And Jesus loved you and the Father so much that he took on your sin and my sin and he went to the cross to give up his life in our place. But he did not stay dead And on that third day, that first Easter Sunday, that stone was rolled away and Jesus was raised from the dead so that anyone, so that anyone who calls on his name would be forgiven, would be saved, would be made new, and would be adopted into the family of God and given life. 
Those of you who are maybe now saying for the first time, for the tenth time, for the thousandth time, I want his grace. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. You can offer up that surrender right now and just say, yes, Jesus. I surrender and I turn from my own way and I turn to you. And you can pray this with me, with all of us right now. Heavenly Father, forgive me, save me, change me, make me new. Jesus, be the Savior of my life, the Lord of my soul. Fill me with your Spirit so that I can know your love, show your love, walk in your truth. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that for the first time, the tenth time, the thousandth time, however many times, I would invite you, if you're on our Church Online page, to just click that, uh, yes, I surrender my life, I give my life to Jesus button. It will let us connect with you and pray with you and for you. There's going to be a little request prayer button there as well and invite you to, to use that, make use of that. If you're watching on Facebook or if you're watching later, you can go to the following links. You can go to trinitycanmore.com slash commit and tell us that fills out a little form. It comes to me that, that you know, I've making this, made this decision to surrender and I would love to connect with you and pray with you. Uh, similarly, you can go to our site, trinitycanmore.com slash prayer and you can fill out another little form there that comes to me and just say, listen, this is what I'm thinking about. This is what I'm wrestling with. I would love for someone to pray with me and I would love to pray with you. Let me pray for us one more time and then we will have our closing songs. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for all that you did for us. Thank you for all that you accomplished on the cross. Thank you that you accomplished not just forgiveness of sins, not just life eternally with you after we die, but that you have, have, have died so that we can have your power right now, that we can live with you right now, that you have invited us to be with you, to come with you, all of us who are weary and heavy burdened and need rest. We surrender to you, Jesus. We long for your rest. We pray all this in your good, 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 good name. Amen.